Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa khususan ala sayyidil rusul wa khatimil anbiya wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya amma ba'd Today, inshallah, we conclude our Ramadan preparation series. And today is going to be the fourth and last one. I start here to remind us how close Ramadan is. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to reach there and allow us to benefit from the offerings of Ramadan. We're past the 15th of Sha'ban, so now we have very few days left ahead of us. We should utilize these days in the best way possible. More specifically for those of us who have been um, procrastinating and delaying that we still have days, I still have days before Ramadan comes. Well, now it's right here. Within a weekend or two, we'll be in the month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to reach Ramadan. We talked about Ramadan in our first session, benefiting from Ramadan. In our second session, we talked about fasting and some of the considerations, inner dimensions. And then in our last class, we talked about engagement with the Quran. Today, I wanted to bring another topic forward. And this is to do with Salah. Salah is something that we pray and do throughout the year. We're praying salah throughout the year and we're every day and every night. In Ramadan, however, Rasulullah as he would intensify everything, he would also increase his engagement with salah. There was a particular prayer that Rasulullah would engage in during the nights of Ramadan, which we refer to as Salat al-Taraweeh, al-Taraweeh prayer. This was different from the Tahajjud Salah of Rasulullah not to use the term. This is why you'll find the scholars of Hadith have separate chapters of Babu Qiyam al-Layl and Babu Qiyam al-Shahri Ramadan. They have a separate chapter for this. Even the Fuqaha, the jurists in their fiqh books have a chapter for Tahajjud Salah and then they have a separate chapter for Babu Qiyam al-Shahri Ramadan. The standing during the night of Ramadan, during the month of Ramadan, during those night hours. 
to point out that there is a difference. The Hajjud Salah is the Hajjud Salah. But in Ramadan, there is a special prayer that we, we engage in, that we pray to you know, go a little above and beyond. We're praying our five salawat in Ramadan. We're going to push this as well, just as we're increasing our sadaqah. Just as we're about to do atikaf in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, we've increased our song, we've increased our tilawa, we need to also increase our Ramadan. It's unfortunate that some folks focus so much on the psalm element of Ramadan that it comes at a neglect towards salah. This is truly unfortunate and it goes against the essence of Ramadan. How can a person gain taqwa, righteousness, closeness to Allah while at the same time actively violating the command of Allah? Some of us use fasting and psalm as an excuse for delaying salah. Just as our psalm picks up and we are avoiding even food and drink during Ramadan, all other ibadah are need to clean up. We need to improve, get better. Ramadan is not a month to be delaying your salah. It's a month in which we pray your salah earlier. It's a month in which you're attending the jama'ah in the masjid. It's a month in which, in addition to your fara'id, you're adding your sunan and nawafil as well. You're praying the raka'ahs before. You're praying the raka'ahs after. Ramadan is a month that in your salah, you're not shortening it, rather you're lengthening it. This doesn't necessarily mean that your fajr needs to turn into a half an hour engagement, but just a little longer. If outside of Ramadan, your habit in ruku' and sajda is to say subhana rabbi al-azim and subhana rabbi al-a'la three times, in Ramadan, push it to five times. In Ramadan, push it to seven times. Create a little bit more length, a little bit more depth. And when you change that number up, when you sometimes read your tasbih three times, and then in the next prayer, you read it five times, and the next time you read it seven times, then come back to three again, and then go to five. As you keep cycling it, it allows you to stay focused in your salah, because the number one issue, the number one issue and barrier for spirituality is habit, adab. When you keep doing the same thing again and again without any change at all, you start doing it mindlessly. Therefore, there isn't one surah that's allocated that must be prayed in every salah, like you have to read surah kawfar in every salah. No, you can read whatever you want and you should change it up. I actually tell the students this, that one of the tricks and techniques the ulama suggest for maintaining khushu' in salah is to read from different parts of the Quran. So maybe in one, one rakah, uh, you start from the first juz. In the next prayer, you read from the second juz. In the third prayer, you read from the third juz. And then the next day around from the fourth juz and the fifth juz. As you keep cycling, when you come to this passage that you're not comfortable with, you're not familiar with, you might be you know, a little you know, worried and concerned that, do I know this part or not? It helps you get back to your focus. Just purely from a memorization perspective. Spiritually, you're engaging with new content. You're reading something new. There's a new message from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala here. That plays a very big role. So in Ramadan, you want to lengthen out your salah. Bring some quality to it. Ask yourself, what can I do this Ramadan to improve my salah? You may not be a person who can do 10 khatams in Ramadan. We talked about a lot of Quran recitation in our previous class, and that's an amazing thing to aim for. If you can't, our salah is going to be with us anyway, inshallah. While we're at work, we're going to pray salah. When we come back from home, we're going to pray salah. 
inshallah, for those of us that are not regular in praying five times Salah Ramadan is that time of the year that you have to lock it down. All five Salahat must be there. This is the bare minimum. If you can't get to Tilawah, inshallah we'll come to that. But your five Salawat are a must. And for the brothers specifically, these five Salawat need to be prayed in the, in the Masjid. We need to populate our Masajid. Make sure we are here. Ramadan should be seen in the congregation. Get out of bad habits. Bring better new habits into your life. So focusing on your Salah. The big concern that people have is, I've been trying to pray my Salah for so many years and there really isn't much improvement. Maybe it's not worth it. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe I'm just not cut for it. The Sharia would never tell us to do something that is impossible. This is one of the principles of our deen. Taklid ma la is not a thing. It's not permissible to obligate something on someone that they are not capable to do. Like you can't tell someone you have to run if they're in a wheelchair. It's not a thing. Sharia would never do that. Because this, this is what we call taklid ma la Anything the deen tells us to do is doable. And not only doable, it's easily doable. You'll have, to put a little, you'll have to put a little focus and a little bit of attention to it, but you surely can accomplish it. Now we come back to Salah. When we look at Salah, the first thing Imam Ghazali mentions in his Ihya, he says that Allah refers to Salah as a form of dhikr. Establish Salah for the sake of my remembrance. So through salah, a person engages in remembrance. Shaitan's goal is to prevent that outcome. So how shaitan prevents that outcome is to cast the garb, the veil of ghafla on the heart, the exact opposite. And when a person is not focused on what they're saying, when a person is not present when they're making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, their salah goes from being an act of worship to the uh, rumbling and mumbling of an insane person. A crazy person that's just saying something without being there. The soul and ruh is gone. The essence of salah lies at niyyah. It lies with ikhlas, sincerity. The meaning of salah can be found in the calmness and stillness of the person while they're praying, both outwardly and inwardly. The essence of salah is seen when a person's heart is present. Because salah is about being present with your heart and whispering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's your conversation with Allah azawajal. When a person's reading Quran, that's Allah talking to them. And when you're in salah, you are now talking back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So what we need to do is remove this veil that shaitan has thrown over us. We need to get rid of that curtain and come back to a state of focus and presence. Allah tells us in the Quran, That when a person sacrifices an animal, the blood and flesh don't reach Allah, rather it's the consciousness that Allah is looking for. When a person sacrifices an animal, the blood and flesh 
are not for Allah. Allah is not interested in that flesh. He's rather interested in the consciousness at the center of it. And the same goes with our ibadah. The bowing down, the sitting down, the standing up. These things are for us. The truth is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is looking for is the obedience and the presence of the person's heart that is worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now, how do we improve our salah? In order to improve our salah, there are some points that you must take note of and make it your objective this Ramadan to work on these specific points. If you do work on these points, you will see change in your salah. You'll see the change. The first thing, allowing yourself to be present. Don't be distracted. Don't pray salah while your heart is somewhere else. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told us not to pray salah while you need to use the restroom. Similarly, we're told that if a person's hungry, eat a little first. Satisfy that hunger. You're thirsty, take a sip of water first, and then go for your salah. We need hudur al-qalb for the heart to be present. How does a person make their heart present? First and foremost, empty your heart of whatever is trying to drag it, whatever is trying to pull it, get rid of those things. So all the things that you find important in your life, everything that you are attached to, anything that you give importance to, whether you know it or not, those thoughts, those feelings, those considerations own real state in your heart. They own some place. When it comes to salah, what you need to do is take your desires and your heart's inclination to a different place. We're not looking at the cars of the cars and the houses of the world. We're not looking at TV shows and video games and food. Before I start my salah, I need to make dua and I need to say, Ya Allah, my greatest hum, my greatest consideration, my greatest desire is you. Now you bring your heart together and say, everything else, before we start salah, none of that is invited to this party. Everything here is going to be about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As Allah tells us in the Quran, Inna salati wa nusuki wa mahyaya wa mamati lillahi rabbil alameen la sharika lahu. No partners with him at all. I won't allow social media to be a partner with my Lord. That's not fair to me. It's an oppression against my relationship with Allah How could I be thinking about a video and movie and sports and weightlifting and playing this and jumping around there and eating this when I'm in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? The heart will be present as long as you are able to prioritize what the heart needs to give attention to at any given moment. At this moment, when I'm standing in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, my number one priority is to connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That salah is a form, it's a path to connect with Allah Imam Ghazali says, So whenever you see that your heart is not present in salah, that it's wandering around left, right, here and there, 
then know the cause behind this is the weakness in your iman. Seems to be a heavy statement. Well, it's obvious and it's clear. Because if your iman was strong and if it was healthy where it needed to be, you would tell your heart that right now, this is my moment with Allah. And that is more important than all of the considerations, than anything else that's trying to come past my heart. So Imam Ghazali says, work on building your Iman. Another good way to um, this Hudr al-Qalb, making your heart present when you're praying Salah, is to work on finding presence with your heart throughout the day. Are you able to control your heart throughout the day or not? This is the question. Or do you just let your heart wonder where it wishes to go? So while you're playing sports, while you're at the gym, while you're in transit, while you're walking around outside, are you able to control your heart? Are you able to bring your heart to the remembrance of Allah or not? Most of us can't. We're so consumed by everything that's happening around us, overstimulation, we lose our ability to engage beyond what's in front of us. Here we're being told, as we see in the life of Rasulullah, he was always in a state of and because he had mastered the art of removing ghafla in a single moment and entering not just into a state of dhikr, remembrance of Allah, but he was able to go so far with his dhikr and be in such a still, absolute, focused place that when it came time for salah, this was very easy to replicate. It was very easy to do again. This is why the mashayikh and ulama say that a person who wishes to gain closeness to Allah and build a relationship with Allah in a meaningful way and overcome their nafs, they must increase their dhikr. Their dhikr of la ilaha illallah. Their dhikr of the ism dhat, the remembrance of Allah, the name of Allah. Their dhikr of reading the Quran. The Quran itself is a dhikr. That you increase that, and what you will see is now you have control to take your mind out of a state of ghafla and put it into a state of remembrance. This constant dhikr and probing yourself throughout the day, having that conversation with yourself every morning, every evening, am I able to be in a state of dhikr? If I'm not able to be in a state of dhikr at my own will, that means there is a weakness in my iman. I need to work on this. Let me do some more istighfar. Let me remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala more. Maybe I should increase my salawat. And as you do this with time, as you do this with time, what you will notice is your strength here will increase. Just like a person who runs 10 minutes every day, a time comes where now they can run 20 minutes. And they do 20 minutes every day, and the time comes they can now do 30 minutes. These muscles get stronger and your stamina increases. Likewise, spiritually, you become stronger too. The second thing that needs to be accomplished for us to improve the quality of our salah to connect with what you are reading, to understand what you are saying. You don't have to be a master in the Arabic language, but it requires some attention and focus. How is it possible that we've been praying, we've been praying Salah for 30 years and many of us cannot properly translate Subhana Rabbi Al-Azim? We're not able to translate Subhana Rabbi Al-A'la. We're not sure what 
dua qunut means Allahumma inna nasta'inuk wa nastaghfiruk wa nu'minu bik wa natawakkalu alayk wa nuthni alayk al-khayr nashkuruk wa la nakfuruk nakhla'u wa natruku min yakhluk What does that mean? If we don't know what it means, the simple answer is there's negligence here. You don't have to be a master in Arabic to know the translation of a dua that you may read every single day of your life. What is the translation of Al-Fatiha? When a person understands what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us to say in Surah Al-Fatiha, what is actually going on there, your heart will melt. You won't desire being in any other thought. Being distracted after reading Al-Fatiha can only occur if you are not thinking about what you were saying. It is impossible for a person to say all of that and then be distracted. It's, it's not mungkin. You, you didn't mean what you were saying or you didn't know what you were saying. How can a person say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen? Literally say, Rabbil Alameen. And then say, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. And then say, Maliki Yawm deen And then promise Allah, Iyaka na'budu wa Iyaka nasta'een. And then beg Allah, Ihdina Surat al-Mustaqeem. While giving precedence, Surat al-Ladheena an'amta alayhim. Seeking refuge from Allah, غير المغضوب عليهم والضالين. And then two seconds later, think about biryani. It's غير ممكن. It's mahal. These are opposites. They can't, they can't exist at the same time. The only way the second thing happens is if the heart wasn't present when you were doing the first. When you were reading, if your heart wasn't present. And therefore, Imam Ghazali, he says, Having a deeper understanding of what you're saying is necessary for your heart to be present. You need it. If you want your heart to be present, you need to understand what you're saying. You need to know what you're saying. When I bow down, I'm saying Subhanahu As I'm sitting there, I'm saying As-salamu nabi When I stand up, I'm saying Rabbana these are my statements that I'm saying. If I know what I'm saying, the heart will be present because the two are connected. This requires a little bit of effort. Fortunately, when people read Salah, when they pray Salah, when they're leading Salah, their focus is on other things. Their focus is on who's praying Salah behind them. Their focus is on whether, um, I don't know, whether it's being recorded or not. Maybe that's a consideration that people have. And who, how many views are they're getting while they're leading Salah? Maybe someone's thinking about whether they're going to mistake, make a mistake in a passage or not. Someone's probably thinking about how they're pronouncing their letters and the other person's thinking about whether they're hitting the right notes while they're reading their Quran. When you lead Salah or when you pray Salah, you need to forget the world exists. Forget about everyone that's behind you. Just forget it. When you're praying Salah or leading Salah, your mind should be, you are in the middle of nothingness before your Lord and He can hear you. And now with your heart, please Him. Read. Water this garden. Just read. Forget everyone. You know, when... Um, there's one Urdu poet, he actually says something like this. He says to um, 
He says, I'll translate it for you. He says that, you know, oh visitor of Medina, my dua to you is, oh visitor of Medina, my dua to you is that when you arrive in Medina Munawwara, you're able to forget the whole world. When you're in Medina, my dua is that you forget everything. You go there, you forget everything, as if they don't exist. That's what used to happen with Salah. When you pray Salah, and you say, Allahu Akbar, I want you to imagine you're turning off a switch that kills the lights of the dunya. It's all dark. It's all gone. Everything's frozen. You know how you see in some of those, uh, some of these movies that are about people with supernatural powers, that the guy's able to stop time? I don't know which person I'm talking about, but I'm sure there's someone out there who has that ability in some movie. And he stops time and everyone pauses where they are and he's the only one walking around. That's it. That moment. Forget everyone. Everyone stops. They cease to exist. It's just you. And it's you and your Allah. This is what we're saying. Allahu Akbar. Greater than everything around me, surrounding me, everything in existence. Allahu Akbar. So, Hudur Qalb. One thing Imam Ghazali says here is that you're, you're, you will struggle with being able to focus on the meaning of what you're saying and by extension then with having your heart present when praying Salah if there are distractions present in that moment. Is that a fair statement? Do you guys agree? If you have distractions, you will be focused. Do you agree with the statement? Yeah, correct. Then he says that distractions are of two types. Now, there are two types of distractions you have. You have the first distractions that are apparent and external. These are those distractions during Salah they um, they engage your hearing and sight. Something's playing in the background. You're praying Salah and there's TV on. Is that going to work? Is that going to help you with Salah? Khushu? No. There's too much noise there. You have to watch out. And the second is that which distracts the eyes. What's the example of this? What was that? One more time. Oh, the, yeah, the Aisha that's a very good one. Where Nabi Sallallahu was one time praying Salah at home, and after Salah, he'd be very upset with the curtain in front of him because it had design on it. And he said to Aisha, this curtain distracted me in Salah. Similarly, the Rama, they say that on the Qibla wall, like this wall in front of us here, there should be no calligraphy on these walls. There should be no signs, no posters, nothing. Why? Because this is the direction people are looking at in Salah. You may say, but it's an ayah of the Qur'an. It's very good. But right now, they need to focus on something else. On the side walls, on the back wall, in the dome. These are all great places. But the ulama, they say when a person prays salah, they should be facing a direction where there is nothing. Nothing in front of them. The second thing you'll see the fuqaha talk about is controlling your gaze while praying salah. There's a minor difference of opinion on where to be looking in salah whether you should constantly be looking at the place of sajda or whether you should be looking in, you know, at your, in your lap or 
you know, uh, on, on, the, on, the, on your feet when you're in ruku. These are smaller differences. But what they agree on is when you're praying salah, control your eyes. Fixate. Find places that you're going to be looking, do not wander around. Don't look left, don't look right, don't look up, don't look down. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam referred to this as the looking around in salah is shaitan stealing from your bag. He's stealing from you. This is the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You have to fixate your eyes because this is a form of distraction. Um, the second is uh, batin. Mawatil? Batin. One moment. Yeah. Wahiya ashad. Right off the bat, Imam Ghazali says these are harder to deal with the internal distractions. What are internal distractions? Um, that which takes a person's concerns, a person's focus into the valleys of the world. We're now roaming around everywhere, but you're no longer in your salah. Dealing with the second one is hard. The second one is hard. How do you deal with thoughts that are trying to distract you? For this, the ulama, they write, you have to go really hard and be very firm against your nafs. The thing is that when you tell your nafs not to do something, what is it going to do? Do it even more. So if you say, you know that famous thing, right? Don't think about an elephant. What's everyone thinking about? An elephant. That's just the way human, way, the human being is. In Arabic, we have a saying for this. Al-insanu harisun fi ma when you tell someone, don't do it, what do they say? I'm going to do it. Can you please come downstairs to have some lunch? Don't tell me what to do. I won't come downstairs to have lunch. The lunch will come upstairs to me. <laughs> so instead of trying to fight those thoughts that come to you while you're in salah, and say, don't come to me. Focus on what you should be focusing on, your relationship with Allah. Do you guys understand the difference there? On one side, there's a thought coming to you. Oh man, playing soccer is going to be really fun. So instead of saying, stop thinking about soccer. You could say that. But the moment you say, stop thinking about soccer, the moment you said that, now you're thinking about a penalty kick. A corner, kick-ups, a nice cross a solid volley, and a victory. You thought of all of that while saying you weren't going to. Then you're like, oh, no, someone's stronger. He says, don't think about soccer. Okay, I won't think about soccer. And that jersey, this is what the next does. When, it, when you kick it out, it jumps onto something else. Uh, Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah ta'ala, gives this beautiful analogy of how the nafs and thoughts occur to a human being Similar to that of a tree. What's the analogy he gives you? Like a, a tree. There's a person who goes for a walk. He wants to clear his head. Had a busy day, exhausted. So he goes to a nice little garden. There's a tree there. He sits under the tree. 
just taking some nice deep breaths, enjoying the weather, everything's so perfect. And then from nowhere, there is a bird that pops on the tree and starts chirping and making a lot of noise. What does he do? He's trying to have a good moment. Now, if he tries to fight with the bird, can he win? Because if he hits the bird over here, what's the bird going to do? Go to the next branch. He'll reach over to the next branch and he'll swing there. Where is the bird going to go? To the next branch. The only way you can actually get rid of this bird is by chopping the tree down. In that case, you can't have peace. So it's a circular argument. You can't win this one. This is the point that he's trying to make. You can't tell, you can't get rid of humum and concerns. And this is why the Sahaba, when the ayah was revealed regarding accountability of thoughts, they were terrified. Is that correct? That if you uh, vocalize or you make apparent what is in your heart or you hide it, Allah will hold you accountable. So when they heard this ayah, they were terrified. And they protested to Rasulullah, a messenger of Allah, this is unreasonable. I'm obviously using my own words here. But they were very overwhelmed. And I, I use that language to show how overwhelmed they were. Allah held them accountable, by the way. Protesting, being, a, being uh, just kind of not obeying immediately, even questioning that command of Allah. Allah Azza wa Jalla held them accountable. He said, وَقَالُوا سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا The people of the past, when they were told to do something, they said, we heard and we obeyed. That's what you should have done. You should have said, we heard, we obeyed, and moved on. But the, anyway, the maqsad of sharing this riwayah is, the Sahaba were overwhelmed because... The idea is that we can't control our thoughts. And this is true. You can't control the evil that comes into your thought, into your mind, because like that bird, it'll just show up. Now, you can control having vultures or some very filthy, dirty bird showing up. If you left stool on the tree or something very sweet on the tree that's going to attract those thoughts, then those thoughts are going to come. So if you've been looking at haram all day when you're in salah, you can't be surprised that you're seeing haram things. You're attracting them to that tree. So don't proactively attract harm, yet at the same time you have to know the innocent birds are always going to be there. Those thoughts are going to come and go. Don't waste your time fighting them. You can't win this. Rather, when that bird comes and it begins to chirp, just remind yourself why you came in the first place. Why am I here? I came here to clear my mind. So let me go back to doing that. Let's silence this noise and enjoy the moment. I only have 30 minutes left. i got to get back from lunch. Let me just enjoy this moment. Let me go back there. So every time thought comes to you that tries to distract you from your salah, rather than trying to fight that thought, you must focus on realigning yourself with the, with the original purpose of why you're there. Imam Ghazali says, Removing the love of the world from the heart is a very difficult task. So those thoughts are going to keep coming. They're just going to be there. And removing these concerns altogether and not having any desire for anything in the dunya is not a thing. It's very difficult, very impossible. It's impossible. You can't do that. So then he says, so that a person should do ijtihad and push themselves as much as possible, as much as you can. And then at the end of the day, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who gives the food. 
You can try your best. You'll win some, you'll lose some. You'll struggle, you'll move a little forward, fall a little back, you'll stand up, you'll fall again. Wallahu muwaffaqun Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who grants tawfiq and he is the one who helps us. One or two more points we'll share, we'll cover briefly. Um, another thing that'll help you out a lot with your salah is to focus on the Allah that you are standing to worship. The greatness of Allah. You're not standing in front of some random person. You're not going to a meaningless meeting. You're not standing in front of yourself. When you say Allah, but you are standing before Allah. Presence of the heart, reflection and understanding of what you're reading. The third thing is focusing on the greatness of Allah. Hence, the entire salah is based around that theme. The theme of ubudiyah. I am nothing, Allah is everything. I am nothing, Allah is everything. I'm so much of a nothing that I will put my forehead on the ground and say how great Allah is. The closest a person can be to their Lord is while they are in sajda. So you have to keep reminding yourself the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The benefit of this will be you will stop worshipping yourself and your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will become that much more intimate. So these are the three things that I wanted to offer today. As we approach Ramadan and as Salah is about to you know, um, become something new for us, inshallah, from the perspective that we're going to explore new areas with our Salah, push ourselves, pray tarawih, increase our tahajjud, spend more time in our farad, add our nawafil back into routine, be more particular about our sunan. These are three things that I want you to work on. Three basic things. What was the first thing? What does that mean? Being present. We talked about distractions, external and internal. How do you deal with the external distractions? Just get rid of them. Just get rid of them. Something's externally distracting, you get rid of it. And number two, the internal distractions, how do we get rid of them? You don't. You focus on, on, on what you should be focusing on. And then in the meantime, like that pre-example, in the meantime, try to connect your heart to Allah. That third point, the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The heart will attach to whatever it desires. The way to really numb this feeling and to silence this noise of the dunya is to detach it from the dunya. That's a long process. Something that may be impossible to do in its absolute nature. But you do the best you can. Make Allah your priority. Think about the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Throughout the day, test yourself. Am I able to disengage and cut off? Can I connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at my own desire when I will? Am I able to think of Allah, you know, when I'm tying my shoes? This is a, um, a, 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 a routine and practice that I usually prescribe and tell students to engage with as much as possible. If you want to develop ihsan and taqwa, if you want to develop ihsan and taqwa, there is a prescription the ulama give. And that is 
throughout your day at random times, ask yourself, do I feel the closeness of Allah? The more random the time, the better. You guys understand? You're stepping out of the house, only one foot's out. You're not even, the second foot's not even out. And ask yourself, stop for a quick millisecond and ask, do I feel the closeness of Allah? Allah is close to me, I already know that. But do I feel that presence? And whatever the answer is, just continue. That's all you have to do. Just keep asking yourself that question throughout the day. The more you ask, the better. You're about to drink some milk, just ask yourself, do I feel the closeness of Allah? And then just continue. Drink your milk, have your food. Before you go to sleep, before you shut your eyes quickly, do I feel the closeness of Allah? And move on. The more you ask yourself this question, and if you do this for an extended time, you will now be interested in the answer. And the answer is, should be yes. And for that you'll work. And if you can embed the closeness of Allah, the consciousness of Allah in your day, get ready for everything to change. Get ready for everything to change. Everything is about to change. It's this equation of ghafla and dhikr. You have to flip it. There is a balance of ghafla and dhikr. We want dhikr to be way high and ghafla to be low. Shaitan is doing what? The opposite, he's flipping it around. We need to make it clear to our nafs and shaitan that this is where we are. I'm always able to be in a state of dhikr. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us tawfiq. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala sallam Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.